One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Je vole sous le soleil. Sans toi, rien n'est pareil. Je vole sous ton ciel Je vole sous les nuages Tu as laissé tes bagages Je vole sous un toit Même si tes bras sont loin de moi My name is Tegan Higginbotham and this week we're heading down to the south of France to visit Provence. Known for its diverse landscapes, rolling vineyards and lavender fields, you can understand why Paul and I chose to honeymoon there. Join us as we take a look at the ancient fortified city of Avignon on the banks of the Rhone. We'll follow in the steps of Vincent van Gogh and then bite off a little more than we could chew with a pair of electric bikes. Welcome to Roulemarque. It was the day after the wedding. And realistically, Paul and I should have been sleeping in, resting after what had been a monumental occasion. But there was a problem. Months earlier, we'd decided that the best thing we could do the day after our wedding was haul ass to Disneyland and take our friends and family with us. So that's what we did. And given Paul has this clinical aversion for not being the first person in line at, say, restaurants, film premieres and, as we'd learn, amusement parks, he ordered everyone out of bed at 7am so we could get to Chessie well before the gates opened. The day was pretty great. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty great. One particular highlight being the moment I forced my mum onto the Temple of Doom ride and she aged like 50 years with fright. She was terrified. But there's no doubt about it, sitting next to your brand new spouse and screaming for dear life on Big Thunder Mountain or Hyperspace Mountain is a very fun way to start any new relationship. But if we were tired after the wedding, by the end of our day in Disney, we were ruined. And we welcomed some quiet time in rural France like never before. One of the reasons Paul and I chose Avignon out of all the cities and all the towns in France was because we knew we could train straight there and then, upon returning home, we could catch the TGV straight back to Charles de Gaulle Airport. Given I'd chickened out of renting a car, this level of simplicity was very appealing. The ride from Paris to Avignon took us approximately three hours. You can then either hop on a local line and get into Avignon Central or catch an Uber. We did the latter, And so we had the pleasure of looking out the window as we drove through one of the city's seven limestone gates topped with battlements. Avignon is like nothing I've ever seen before. Enclosed within 4.3 kilometres of high walls, the centre of Avignon is a UNESCO World Heritage listed site. Narrow streets dotted with breathtaking examples of Roman and Gothic architecture lead to the centre of the city, where the Palais du Pape, a formidable eight-towered fortress on a rock 58 metres above Avignon, looms over the city. (music) 
From March 1309 until January 1377, Avignon, rather than Rome, was the seat of the papacy, making the Palais du Pape the home of Western Christianity during the 14th century. As such, it is one of the largest and most important medieval Gothic buildings in all of Europe. And to Paul and my surprise, we found out we'd be staying less than 100 metres from its front door. Paul Verhoeven, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. But hey, before we continue, I actually have to offer you a very, very large congratulations. First of all... On getting married? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if you realise it happened last year. One year ago, actually, mm. your debut book, Loose Units, hit bookshelves. It and did. that is a wonderful, wonderful achievement. But more than that, the spin off podcast, Loose Units, is currently one of the top 40 podcasts in all of Australia. And it has been listed as one of the top 10 best podcasts this year by iTunes. Oh. Well done. Thank you very much. Really well, well done, Paul. And it's recorded in the same studio that we record Real Mark in. It's, I know. It's, we're sitting in the studio where magic happens. Yeah, it's Castaway Studios. And um, yeah, thank you very much. It's it's such a weird shift to go from true crime to, you know, a love story in Paris. But here we are. <laughs> well, if you, if you wouldn't mind casting your mind back and telling me, what were your first impressions of Avignon? Okay. Avignon was like... Okay, it's like King's Landing from Game of Thrones with more cheese. <laughs> it's like, and frankly, there are bits of it that could do with some dragon fire. Like, it was a very strange place. If you picture a large uh, circular city mm-hmm. on a hill overlooking an ancient river, and it's fortified, like really fortified. It's like, and there's a basically a castle at the top of it, and that castle was where the Pope lived. Well, it wasn't a castle; it was a. A fortress. A fortress, but if yeah. You, if you ever doubted that the papacy was a little bit intense back then, um, <laughs> yeah. this, this is Yeah, I mean, proof. it's not like, hey, guys, let's go pray. It's like, you come here and pray. Yeah, you pray, damn it. Um, and it had a real Hogwarts vibe. In fact, one of the ways that we enjoyed the tour of the Palais du Paps was pretending it was Hogwarts. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's probably really disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> Which house are you in? I'm in I'm in papacy house. It's very cold. <laughs> it's very cold. <laughs> yeah. So the very first day we were in Avignon, we arrived kind of middle of the afternoon and we decided to go for a bit of a walk, find a late lunch, and we stumbled upon this small little Corsican bar stuck in the side of this wall in a rickety street. Yeah, we walked around the side of the Palais du Paps, which is frankly, if you if you are facing the Palais du Paps and you look to your right there is basically this gorge mm. uh, and we followed it and it was incredibly beautiful and we went through a few alleyways and we found ourselves um, about to get hit by a rainstorm and there was this small place called uh, Bergerie Corse mm-hmm. and it was on our left and there were barrels and bales of straw out the front and we went in and I'm pretty sure it was a Corsican brother and sister and it turns out Corsica has this really stressful history with France <laughs> of being like repeatedly taken over and so all of the Corsican art in there was super militant like Dudes in AKs and balaclavas. So there was that, but then there are also these four monks, no, sorry, monks yeah. uh, in the in their monk clothes. Yep. I don't know what monk clothes are called. Like robes. Robes. They were wearing their robes. So they were sat on one side. The rain started pouring outside. Oh, my God. And we were still just trying to get our bearings in this new city. And we ordered a, a cheese, a plate of cheese and a couple of glasses of red wine. Now, this plate was the biggest goddamn thing I've ever ever seen. I think the whole meal cost us with the wine 18 euro or something like that. Yeah, and I was looking at that thing conservatively. It was about $150 worth of stuff. It was so good. It was so good. And they're sitting in the corner just eyeballing us. And what they, okay, so what they did was they told you that there was one cheese you had to have last. It was this, it wasn't a hard cheese. It was like a smear, almost like, it looked like a cream cheese on this piece of bread. Yes. And the woman who ran the place, uh, she could speak English and she just went, 
now I need to make this clear, you need to have that cheese last. Yeah, you know in the film Alien where the uh, the xenomorph blood gets on the floor and then they look <laughs> through like five decks worth where it's melted through? So that's what that cheese was. Sure. But, but I was really, uh, you know, of course at this point I just thought maybe it was super garlicky or something. I wasn't sure. <laughs> so we've finished all the other cheeses because we're Australian and we like a challenge. And I've picked up this piece of bread with the this, this, this smear of cream cheese. Yeah. And we've looked over at the bar and the brother and sister are staring at us like, hee, 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 they're going to do it. And I was like, okay, sure, let's fucking do this, right? And so I have put this whole piece of bread Idiot. into my mouth. <laughs> I have never experienced anything like this. My mouth was simultaneously on fire and entirely numb. Mm. It was... It was it was it was a heat maybe but nothing like a, not a chilly heat more maybe horseradishy something like that I don't uh, know calling that horseradish is like calling a gun a knife all right <laughs> there's no comparison what you know for me it was like it was like maybe just for a brief moment I understood the pain of a childbirth like it was pretty- <laughs> <laughs> get out I'm kidding but no cuz I I like to think that I'm up for a challenge mm. but I feel like we'd said yes to a dare no, it did feel like a day. It felt like this brother and sister went, ha-ha, we're going to make you do a crazy thing. But after we did it, after we did it... We made friends. We made friends. They called us over to the bar and they get, they just pulled these bottles out from under the bar. And they've been making their own fortified liquors. And it was pretty strong. And But then they, they just kept pouring us shots. They were doing shots too. <laughs> yeah. But once again, it was just like, okay, maybe this is what you do in Avignon. I'm not going to say no. So we're just doing shots at this bar. and We've been there for about an hour at this point, this by the way. And I'm like, what kind of a Bacchanalian descent are we on now? It was just so great. It was great. So we, we, we went home. We unpacked our bags after that. Later in the evening, once it had gotten dark, we walked through the streets when all was quiet. And our first, very first impressions of Avignon, as you can see, were drunken and great. Oh, yeah. Thought it was fantastic. The next day, however, we woke up and our impressions evolved somewhat and we began to see a side of the city that we didn't enjoy as much. In 2018, approximately 9.2 million tourists visited Australia from overseas, with a whopping 4.2 million flooding into New South Wales alone. But despite these ever-growing figures, Australia doesn't feel like it's about to be overrun by tourists. However... You compare that to the 87 million tourists who visited France in 2017. And they were all there that day. (laughs) They were all there that day. You have a slightly different picture. Europe is struggling under the pressure of tourism and locals are growing frustrated. A couple of years ago, anti-tourism demonstrations spread across the continent with locals voicing their disapproval at everything from surging property prices to the social and environmental impact of huge cruise ships. Since then... Councils and authorities have been trialling new measures in an attempt to reduce the impact of tourism. These include bans on new or unlicensed tourist accommodation, apps which tourists can download to see the number of people on a particular route in real time, or cameras to monitor visitor numbers. But as Paul and I discovered firsthand, tourism is still a really big problem. I'm used to experiencing lines in Paris, etc., but Avignon was the first place I'd ever been to where I witnessed tourism threatening to ruin an entire city, just ruin it. Throughout the heart of Avignon, there is this long strip that is basically just all ugly, commercial, mass tourism-targeted shops and restaurants. I mean, when you're looking up Avignon online, they don't show you the McDonald's, the Superdry or the H&M, but they're there and they suck. So do the busloads of tour groups who stream in each day, blindly following their despondent little guide, waving their dumb little paddle in the air. Pulling... 
<laughs> really going for it here. Paul and I never considered robbing a train before, but there is a small tourist train that circles Avignon daily. And I'm going to be honest, we were this close to finding horses, dressing as bandits, then chasing that thing down. I need to call bullshit on that. Really? <laughs> We've talked about robbing trains before. <laughs> It's like a weekly... What are you talking about? We've got schematics in the next room. <laughs> Basically, I'm just saying that, that tourism is a problem and for the first couple of days, we felt crushed by it. This was not what we'd pictured. However, the positives were still there. First of all, a beautiful Avignon still does exist. You just have to work for it. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, it's about venturing off the beaten path and heading to some of the less expected sites. If you're staying in Avignon... Here are a few pointers. The Palais du Papes is worth a visit, but get there at 9am on a Monday or a Tuesday. The crowds are much smaller then. The galleries at Avignon are splendid, and for some reason they are not nearly as packed as you'd expect. The Musique Calvé is breathtaking, and the works of Joseph Vernet in particular deserve a good chunk of your time. The Musée Angledon is a stunning building where the works of Van Gogh, Modigliani and Picasso, they feel so at home there is actually this sense of unexpected but very welcome casualness about the paintings. You know, in other galleries, if you see the work of one of the great masters, generally there's a big hoo-ha made about the whole thing, but in this setting the work is treated really simply and I felt as if I could just enjoy it in a different light. Do you understand what I mean by that, Paul? Is that making sense? Yeah, because in, in you know, you, okay, for example, we went to the Louvre and there's an entire room and it's like everything is a funnel channeling people towards this one painting, right? right. And you get there and there's a kind of trough mentality. You sit there, you stare at it, you pile out, right? Yeah. The, the, everything seems to drag in. You know when, like, you've got an uneven floor and you put a marble on it and it rolls? Yeah, whereas so, in this place it just all felt... Easy. It, it just was where it was. Yeah. Like you might just wander into a side room and suddenly there's a stunning painting there and the building is not making a fuss about it. It's like the building is the building and the paintings have to adapt and not the other way around. Yeah, it makes you almost feel like, oh yeah, we got we got a Van Gogh. We've got six. What? What of it? We have um, we have a René. Uh, René? René? <laughs> Who's the René? René's the cleaner. He's in, he's in every Tuesday. He's very good. He's very good. He's no Van Gogh. <laughs> For food, we did find a fair bit to choose from, but once again, it was a bit tricky as there were a lot of shitty places. And after a week, this hurts me to say, we never found good bread in Avignon. It hurt my soul immeasurably. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating there, Paul, am I? We really struggle finding the bread, and we're pretty, we're pretty inquisitive. We looked a lot. <clears throat> so if if we couldn't find it. I, I fail to see how other people could, mm. but, you know, it's probably there somewhere. But for food, La Gape is a wonderful restaurant if you're looking for something a bit special. Mm. And for coffee, there is only one place to go. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to be a Melbourne snob about this. It is undrinkable everywhere else. But Cafe Tulip is excellent. It's extremely good. And it's worth pointing out that after about a week of being regulars there, the barista was, where, where are you from? And we said Melbourne. And he goes, ah, very good coffee. <laughs> yeah, he did. And he kind of gave us this eye roll of like, oh, okay, I see what I'm dealing with here. He suddenly started acting like scared of us. <laughs> like we were super judgmental. And he's right, we were. We were. Yeah. Paul and I got by pretty well with our limited amount of French. Once again, a lot of people do speak English, but not nearly as many people that you'll encounter in, say, Paris. So you'll definitely want to have those basics down pat. And finally, when in Avignon, make sure you head across the river to the nearby township, the imposing Villeneuve-les-Avignons. 
Sitting on a hilltop that overlooks Avignon, this much smaller town is peaceful, beautiful, and has a wonderful Saturday market that Paul and I visited. We bought cheese and saucisson and we had a wonderful time. Another thing that Paul and I benefited from as a result of not loving the centre of Avignon at all times is that it pushed us outside the city walls into the rest of Provence. As mentioned above, I was reluctant to drive, but we knew we could not spend a whole week in that one place. So we decided we'd rent a couple of bikes and see France that way. (laughs) The journeys weren't nearly as smooth as we'd anticipated. Paul, if you could rate the comfort level of your first bike out of 10... What number would you give it? Is get f***ed a number? <laughs> I think it would have been more comfortable on that first bike if I'd taken the seat off and let the metal pole right up my ass. Oh. It was bad. Okay, it was bad. So what we did is we um, our the woman who was managing our Airbnb in Avignon was like, hey, I also rent out a couple of bikes. Come get them from me. And we're like, well, this is simple and great. Sure, we'll do that. But they just weren't good bikes. They were really the sort of bikes that maybe if you were just – kind of having a quick ride around the centre of Avignon, they would have been fine. But we didn't do that. We decided that we wanted to see Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, which is 19.9 kilometres from the centre of Avignon. Now, in the end, Paul, you have to agree, the ride was worth it. Oh, my God. The ride was crazy. I mean, first of all, for the first, I would say, 30 minutes of cycling outside of Provence, it was like riding through Kuwait. Like, it was really weirdly bad. Okay, like Yeah, so you Avignon is not just the fortified city in the centre. There is then the, you know, the greater suburbs of Avignon outside of it. And some of them are a little bit rough, I think it's fair to say. Some of them are basically just big cinder block tenements and, and garbage in the street. So we had to get through all of that. And then because we're just working off of really kind of rudimentary maps, we didn't have a great idea of the area. We found ourselves riding basically beside a freeway Yeah, it was a bit- Which was really scary. It's just like, you know, these crazy Aussies and these massive trucks streaming past us. But we did get to Sohoimi and it is a beautiful place. Well, after about, I don't know how long the ride took before it started to feel like we were in France and not Dresden. But after a while, suddenly we started to notice that things were getting a bit greener. Mm. And then it got really beautiful really fast. But by that point, we were so sore from the bikes. And then we crest up this hill. And yeah, we're in Saint-Rémy, which just looked like your picture postcard French provincial town. So you've got all this beautiful green, this lovely township. And we weren't we weren't necessarily that close to the French Alps, but you could see them. And they're different from the mountains in Australia. In a mountains, uh, in Australia, our mountains we all look like... We don't Well, they look like boobies. Like, they're all really nice and round. We have bumps. We have we have horizon bumps. An Alp is a frigging but, event. Well, they're actually, like, triangular and pointy. They're, they have peaks cool. and they have snow. And they are so big that as you head towards them for an hour, they don't change in size. <laughs> no, they just they're stay s- big. <laughs> so big. So we rolled into Salome, we were really exhausted and we knew that we were just desperate for some good food. Mm. And it was actually your sister who had recommended when choosing restaurants, don't look for TripAdvisor stickers in the windows, don't look for that sort of stuff. Look for where the locals are eating. Yeah. And I saw this one much smaller cafe on a street that had quite a few options. But there were a lot of families sitting out front and I just went, yeah, those are all locals, definitely. So we went into this place called the Straw Hat where you and I had... 
basically one of the best meals that we had in all of France. One of the best meals we've had in our life, thank you very much. It was a small, clean room. Uh, you know, there were probably, what, four or five tables? It was really small. We immediately felt very welcomed by the two hosts who couldn't speak very much English at all, but between the two of us, my broken French, their broken English, we got there. And, you know, there are only so many ways that you need to articulate that you want as much food as possible, please. Like, we got that message across. Yeah, in my defence, though, I think... As much food as possible, please, to those people meant a very different thing to us because we had <laughs> too much food. It was great. It was great. So we had several courses and things just kept getting plonked on the table that we hadn't necessarily ordered but were just part of the meal experience, like this beautiful bowl of fresh radishes, which I would never have contemplated just eating a bowl of radishes, but they were heaven. Well, actually, what we ordered was like the lunch special, which Mm -hmm. cost bugger all. And suddenly we're being handed these huge glasses of local wine, which again, I'm not a wine guy. I could taste every single thing in these wines. Then it was a bowl of fresh local almonds, Mm. right? In olive oil with the radishes on top. That's right. Because we went with the plat du jour and we went with the entree and main instead of the main and dessert. dessert. Mm. So this was all part of the entree situation and I ha- I love this the entree that we selected was this beef terrine and instead of getting given a small little piece of terrine basically this this what would we call it like um I've forgotten the, the it looked like a loaf tray you a know loaf, like this giant loaf tray just got put down on the table with this beautiful terrine inside of it and then a knife sticking out the top of it and we just looked at her and she's like just carve up as much as you like. No, no, she didn't say that. She said something in French and grinned at us and then left. <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay, I guess. So it was basically just have as much terrine as you want. And the terrine paired with the um, with the almonds and the radishes. Mm. And it was life-changingly good. And then for lunch, we had this <sighs> fish and all these vegetables that you just, they just these tasted. stuffed zucchini flowers. Plucked out of the ground. Everything yeah. tasted like the earth about 20 minutes to the left. Like everything was local. And then the chef came out twice and he had this look on his face that if we didn't enjoy that meal, he would have been destroyed. He just, he cared about that food so much. Let's talk about the rest of Saint-Lomi though. We shouldn't just talk about the food. Saint-Lomi is a small commune known for being the birthplace of Nostradamus and was also the place where Vincent van Gogh spent some time in recovering in a psychiatric centre at the local monastery. He probably rode there. He probably <laughs> rode there, and that's, that's why he was like, I need some time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Therefore, much of his work was created in that area, including one of my all-time favorite paintings, Starry Night. So we went into the centre of town and looked around, and it is a really beautiful town. Uh, the church is fantastic and well worth a look. However, we really wanted to see where Van Gogh painted. That was one of the big draw cards for us. Mm. So you kind of leave the main strip and you get to walk, what would we say, maybe two kilometres up this hill. Yeah. And you're heading, and, and, and on the ground as you're walking up, actually, I should say, there are these little uh, plates in the ground that indicate that you're on the Vincent van Gogh walk. Yeah, like medallions with a V on them. Yeah, yeah and we got up the top there and there were quite a few tourists in that area, of course, and you mm. could see the monastery where he was, where he stayed for his recovery. But surrounding it are just these gardens that, well, 
they look like Van Gogh paintings. Yeah, well, what happened was we kind of uh, wanted to skip out on the path, climbed up the verge, and between us and the place that he stayed for his mental health after his bike ride uh, were basically olive trees everywhere. And okay. then, yeah, and cypress trees. All the cypress trees and olive trees, olive trees that you see in his paintings, because he was painting what he could see when he was recovering. But it wasn't so- only that; the colours were the same. It was all those. It was the blues and oh, the yeah. soft greens and the and the bright yellows all twirling in together. You could see it. You were in his paintings, basically. So then uh, we saw the crowds, and I just said, "Do you want to just keep walking?" So we just kept walking, and we walked into the hills above uh, the sanitarium, and we ended up basically in the mountains, surrounded by cypress trees. It was so idyllic. We met this beautiful French woman because we were trying to capture it in a photograph. And this woman came up. And she's like, "Do you want me to take a photo of the both of you?" And we said, "Oh no, 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 it's fine. We're just we're trying to capture this moment." And we had this lovely chat with her. And she said, "Keep walking, keep mm. walking into the hills because about another four kilometers that way, you just basically see the whole of the valley surrounding you." And we desperately wanted to do it. However, I knew that we still had to walk the two k's back into town, mm. get our bikes, and then ride the twenty k's back to Avignon. So we didn't do that walk, but if I ever return to that area, that is that is how I'm spending an entire day. Agreed. We tried to skip the rest of our bike ride by waiting at the bus stop. We were told that potentially we could slide our bikes into the bottom of the bus and get the bus to take us back to Avignon. Uh, however, the bus never showed up, so that didn't happen. We did have to ride back, and by the time we got home that night, we were pretty sore. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I... I... I've never wanted to destroy an inanimate object quite as much as that bike, <laughs> but I almost threw it at her when I gave it back. I know. You'd think that we would have learned our lessons, but we didn't. Nope. Because two days later, we we rented more bikes. Now, to be fair, we rented those electronic bikes. They were different bikes. We actually went to a special bike rental place, mm. and we got these bikes. They're very heavy, but they have a small motor in them, and it's not that you just sit back and these chug along the road for you. You still have to power. There's but, different. Yeah, there's different settings. But basically. as you pedal, you can either turn it up that you are assisted times one or you're assisted times 10 or you're assisted times 20 or something and you'll be pedaling and you feel like you're a superhero because you're pedaling only a little bit and you're going zoom down the road and it is really satisfying. So that day though we set ourselves another huge task. We decided to start the day by heading out to the caves of Tuzon T-H-O-U-Z-O-N. They're about 18 kilometres from Avignon. Yes, it was another big journey, but with these bikes, we did it. And also, we use Google Maps, and here is a handy hint for travellers. When you go to Google Maps, you can pop in a bicycle option, which we didn't do the first time because we didn't use Google Maps the first time. So suddenly, we are being taken through the most picturesque versions of this trip in the world. It was just all these bike tracks beside little flowing streams and vineyards and fields filled with poppy. It's actually like the stuff you see in the pictures. Yeah, every single no, no. It was like Middle Earth. It, was, was, like the, it, was, it was like it was like the Shire. Every tree was like in full bloom. There were big fat bumblebees. Every you could hear flowing water. It was, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. So by the time we finally got to these caves, it was we were in another world. We were basically having one of the best days of the honeymoon. Maybe maybe nearly one of our best days in France. Yeah. So we went into the caves. Uh, they're really worth looking. Not too expensive. You're down there for about thirty minutes. Mm. Stunning caves. There's a really kind of shoddy light show that they try to put on at the end. Yeah, there's kind of a choreographed light and sound (laughs) show where this bad MIDI track comes on and I turn around and it's not lights automatically lined up to the sounds. There's a woman there just kind of apathetically pulling a slider (laughs) up and down in the corner. (laughs) She thought we were overcome with emotion because we were trying not to laugh. Laughing so hard. But other than that, it's it's actually really, really good. Yeah. So after that, we were really hopped up on the day. We're like, this is the best thing that we've ever done. And these bikes, so look. 
we had barely exerted ourselves riding, you know, this magic, far. Magic. Yeah. So we're just floating through the countryside and we went, let's keep going. So we picked another place on a map, just literally point and choose and we'll go there. And we decided to go to Thor or T-H-O-R. We were calling it Thor, which was only five kilometers away. And this place was really interesting. Mm. Very, very small township. Um, not a lot of cash there, I want to say. It felt a bit uh, a bit run down, but with a lot of heart. Yeah. It was really cool. We went to this pub and we just really wanted, we wanted entree cot. We wanted some steak and chips. That's what we felt like. And I went into the pub. I'm calling it a pub. What would it be? A bistro. It, it looked and felt like a it pub. It actually though. did feel very much like but a pub. But it was surrounded by a small canal with a bridge. So it was still prettier and than anything ducks, we've got. Yeah. yeah. And we've gone in there and I've tried to order this meal and it was not working. I don't know what was going on with my accent. This had never been a problem at all in my trip. But I was saying all the things that I usually say in French, just trying to order these two meals. And this poor woman behind the bar, she was like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I just don't know what you're saying. Clearly she was speaking French. She didn't say that or else she would have had a very good grasp on English. Anyway, so she's called over her husband. She's like, I'm sorry. I just don't know what you're saying. And then I just heard this man yelling from the other side of this pub and he was like Australians <laughs> I look over there I'm like oh my god why is this person yelling at me and this gentleman used to play rugby for France oh. so he spent a lot of time in Australia and he was a big fan of the fact that there are a couple of Australians visiting his pub his establishment so he's come over and he's chatting with me about his time playing rugby and he's like do you watch a lot of rugby and I was like no I'm so sorry I'm not a rugby person actually I I follow I follow Aussie rules AFL I follow you know that I follow Australian football and he's gone Carlton Football Club and I went what and he's like I barrack for Carlton Football Club and oh I've gone Oh my god I barrack for Carlton Football Club and he's pointed onto his register where there's this little faded you know kind of half peeling off sticker of the Carlton Football Club logo and it was so amazing that on the other side of the world, I just suddenly had this connection with this man. And he was like, how's the club doing? And I'm like, you don't want to know. <laughs> we just had this really great chat about football. And then he went around the pub introducing us to people, pointing out that we weren't British or American. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. They're not British or American because turns out that's a thing. And then suddenly the saloon comes out and the, the, the you know the piano comes out and the streamers. It's like a speakeasy with the cop centre. It was, it was a really fun moment and the food was fantastic. So you can imagine now. We've been riding through the most beautiful, picturesque countryside. We've had an incredible meal, met some wonderful people. So naturally, Paul and I went, let's keep going further. Yeah, well, because we looked at the map and you, mm. as one of our potential, one of the alternates to Avignon was this place called... God. God. G-O-R-D-E-S. I've been told it's pronounced God. Yeah. Now, God was... How far away was it? It was another 23 kilometers away. It was actually a long way away, and it's actually it's also on the side of a mountain. Um, so, <laughs> But we'd just seen an Alp, and we were full of steak and chips. And we were, yeah, we were just buzzing with adrenaline. So we went, sure, we've got the time. We, we plotted it out. Yeah. A couple of things were concerning us a little bit. Our phone batteries were beginning to get a little bit low. Mm -hmm. These batteries on the bikes uh, only had so much juice for the day and we had to be really conscious that we didn't run that battery out because without the battery pedaling these things, it was like riding through sand. It yeah. was really difficult. And my battery was quite a bit lower than yours? Yeah, but you know what? We did all the math. We did a few calculations and we figured out that we had plenty of juice. So we decided to go for gold. Now... Google Maps, as Paul pointed out, was really wonderful in that it put us on a lot of really interesting bike tracks. Mm. However, it seemed to confuse bike tracks with hiking tracks on this particular leg of the trip because we got sent down a path that was basically the thousand steps. If you live in Melbourne, you know the thousand steps. It's, it's not a bike track. 
it's steps. It was steps, people. It was it was stairs up the side of a mountain. You've used the wrong word there. You said it took us down the wrong path. No, no, it took us up the wrong <laughs> path. Actually, what it did first was it deceived us by taking us behind some vineyards between two sets of mountains, and we would stop regularly and turn to each other and just say, this is the most beautiful shit we've ever it, seen. It was breathtaking, and, so, you know, still very enthusiastic about the day. Yeah, but at one point uh, we uh, crested this, this rise and we could see God on a mountain and we thought, it's right there. It's so beautiful. And just... What we saw, you know, Paul said before that he thought Avignon looked like Game of Thrones. This was like something Peter Jackson would have actually designed for The Lord of the Rings. It was it was just all these buildings down the side of this mountain and it looked like – well, I guess it was. It was a medieval ancient town. Yeah, and it looked stunning. And yeah, we obviously yeah. at one last point just kind of checked in with each other and then it's, we started – because we have assisted riding, we were just riding up this hill and riding up these paths. And suddenly the road starts to get very uneven, the, the path. Mm. And then we go over this uh, over this kind of curve and we are looking down into a valley of trees and there's just these kind of broken stairs is a very kind appraisal it's, for it's, what – It's rocks. Yeah, it's jagged rocks. And the jagged rocks were leading into the trees and then it was just like nothing, forest, and then in the the distance was this unmoving city and, and we're we like had to get to it yeah so we kind of doubled down and start taking these 400 kilo bikes down these horrible rocks <laughs> into this valley and i think it's like a dry creek bed there's trees everywhere we can't see much and the broken rocks kind of continue into the distance and at this point we have our first moment on the ride of like maybe we've bitten off more than we can chew so you sent me up ahead yeah. and i at this point i'm pretty freaked out so i'm running up this mountain through these through this forest hope- this stage as well, your phone had died, so my, we're down to one phone. Yep, my phone was dead. Yours was on like thirty-five percent. My battery was—I think I had a third left—and we had a charger in our saddlebag. Mm. So we're like, if we can ever get to this medieval city, provided they have electricity, which it looks like they don't, we can plug our things <laughs> in. So I run, 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 run up this mountain, and finally I see what looks like kind of like a back alleyway with some um, with some driveways, yeah. and I realize, okay, we've clearly intersected with the township. Yep. So we haul our bikes up, and it's not in- yeah, it's not the Google Maps was wrong. It's if we were walking into Gaul, this yeah. would have been the most scenic, incredible hike. Yeah. But but we weren't walking. Yeah, they forgot to carry the one, and as a result, <laughs> we had to carry the bikes. <laughs> but we found ourselves back on this track, mm. and, you know, our excitement levels lifted again, so we got back on our bikes. Oh, and I started humming the, uh, the, the uh, music from the Temple of Doom. Great. Yeah. So we're getting in, and it was probably about another 25 minutes to half an hour, and we were rolling. We found ourselves on Bitchman Roads again, thank God. And we're heading into this town and we're stopping, taking photos. And by this stage, though, phones were really low. Your bike was incredibly low. And we went, okay, w- what we'll do is we'll stop and we'll have some food. And we'll maybe even decide if we want to stay over the night here because we are that enamored with this city. Mm. But we've got to charge these bikes. Oh, and also the bikes had to be back by 6 p.m. Otherwise, we'd have to pay another couple of hundred euros. Yeah, they were very expensive. Yeah. So we, we rolled into the top, the kind of the peak of this town and saw somewhere where we'd be able to charge the bikes. Great. So I've hopped off mine and gone to reach into your saddlebag to get the charger and your saddlebag was gone. Yeah. At some point on this goddamn Tolkien-esque journey, my saddlebag had fallen off and it also had the jacket, which I bought myself as a wedding present. Yeah. And we have to stip, like you'd been really looking forward to for a long time, buying yourself a leather jacket. And mm. I kept saying to you, don't get one in Australia. That's silly. We're going to London. Go shopping in London or Paris and treat yourself. You know, save up, get yourself a really beautiful jacket. So you'd done that. You'd put it in the saddlebag and the saddlebag was gone. Yeah, but as we kind of come up to God and we decided to stay there overnight, the view was 
It's the best view in the world. It is. It's just, it just drops away like a waterfall into nothingness. It's mm. so big and epic. And so not only did we have to go back and look for this bag, time was against us, the battery was low, and we had, like, we had to get the bikes back. So not only did we have to find this bag, there were several factors working against us. We were down to one phone and the battery on that was running out. The battery on the bikes was running out and we had to get these bikes back by six o'clock or else we'd have to pay for a whole new day Mm. while finding your saddlebag. And at this point, I'll point out that we didn't know where your credit card was and there was a very big chance that it was in that bag. So all these things were working against us and we were beginning to feel a little bit stressed. I think it's fair to say you were really upset about losing your jacket, which is completely understandable. Mm. So we realized, okay, we could not stay in gold any longer. We needed to just get back as quickly as possible, hopefully find your jacket, make our way back to Avignon, get the bikes back in time and not get fined a load of money. Oh, my God. So <laughs> we rode back to the to the top of the mountain. I ran up and down, cried a bit in the in the French sun, Aww. didn't find the saddlebags, got back and we rode down the hill and then we stopped and just went, we're in provincial France, we're married it's just stuff. Let's just enjoy ourselves. So we rode back and Google Maps was kind enough. I think you're rushing over it. We we, we we looked for the bag for quite some time yeah. and it wasn't working and the pressure was beginning to build up a little bit. And we realized at that point we had two choices. Mm. We either acknowledged that this had been one of the most beautiful days where there'd been a small hiccup and we got on with it yeah. or we let this moment define the whole trip. And despite the fact that we were really, you know, not happy about you losing your jacket and all that sort of stuff. We went, no, we're going to, we want this day still to be fantastic in our memory. So we're going to, we're going to win this day back. Yeah. There is an attitude that we adopted a little bit that is like, um, the it's just stuff attitude because the saddlebag was going to cost us money. The charger in there was going to cost us money. Mm. The bike lock, which was like industrial grade was going to cost us money. My jacket, all this other stuff. But again, it's just stuff. You can stuff. literally choose to focus on that or focus on the good stuff. And so we mapped in a route on your phone, which had barely any juice left. Uh, we figured if I was riding on like one quarter energy, we could get there mm-hmm. without my battery dying. And the map took us the quickest way, which was along a lot of main roads. But again, this version of main roads is like there's an Alp right there. Yeah. We stopped about a third of the way across. Um, at this point, we were getting a little bit hot. Uh, we hadn't put sunscreen on. Oh, my God. I forgot about the sunburn. Uh, and we were wearing T-shirts and we were looking very pink. So we stopped at this uh, roadside fruit vendor and this very French man uh, gave us this punnet of strawberries and I had an apple and we sat there in the shade and just ate fresh fruit and had a laugh with this Frenchman. We and we're just like, had to laugh about about it, we're yeah. like, you know what? This is going really well. And as we started to get closer and closer, that's when the map gave out. And we were about probably, what, 40 minutes out of Avignon. Oh, even more, I think. But so now we've lost both phones, so we have no maps. And we have a rough idea which direction we're heading in, but it's very rough. And, and I'll point out, yeah. do you know how many kilometres we rode that day? Um, well, you said you said 20-something before. Like how I, I, I added it all together. I plotted it out on a map. Oh, my God. 87 kilometres. <laughs> We're f***ing idiots. (laughs) You know what the problem is that we, because this quicker route was taking us away, we didn't know. And because France is like so much bigger than you think, we were coming into Avignon from a completely different direction, which meant when the map died, we literally had to ask for directions and like follow signs and just sort of improvise our way out of provincial France. It felt like we were back in the 90s or something, like asking people for things. And you just don't know how much you grow accustomed to your phones until you don't have your phones anymore. Yeah. 
Now, the end of this story is that we got back to the bike shop five minutes to spare and we just looked terrible. We were by now severely sunburnt. We were dehydrated. We were exhausted. We could we couldn't walk properly because we were so sore. And I think this guy took pity on us. He still charged us, mind you, for the saddlebag, uh, despite the fact that we were like, mate, it clipped off. Yeah. Like this, this is meant to stay on there. This is part of the bike. The bike clearly wasn't put it. But you know what? We couldn't argue it, and we were so exhausted. We just, we just accepted uh, the fine that he gave us. But we were, we'd made it back. So we walked back into town and we bought a whole chicken. Do you remember? Yeah. We just ate this whole chicken not talking, just sat across from each other trying to get sustenance and all that sort of stuff. Oh, my God. It, it was, was, it was, was still, It was basically the best day ever. Like, it was, again, it was Indiana Jones-esque. Yeah. Like, we felt like explorers. From that point on, we decided to just chill a little bit more in Avignon Mm. and we spent a lot more time just walking and seeing galleries and we didn't hop on another bike again fortunately I think that was a wise decision well I can't because my pelvis shattered (laughs) but when we hopped on the train and we were heading back to Charles de Gaulle how did you feel were you quite sad to be leaving well yeah I was sad to be leaving but if you recall a couple of days before we left after the bike rides not coincidentally we both looked at each other and went should we try and do the last few days in Paris? Oh, that's right. We had this weird thing of like, let's do even more. We had this massive like FOMO anxiety thing. Mm. But we realized that, you know what? It might have been grueling at points, but we had spent a week in Avignon having adventures. And, and you've talked to people on this podcast and they've said, get out of Paris. Yeah. And it would have felt hypocritical to just crawl back to Paris. Well, because Paris was our safe space. It's like we know <laughs> we know where to get our cakes yeah. and we know to get our bread. We, we oddly now feel so familiar in Paris that Mm. we were like, oh, we want to go home. But we stayed and it it was a magical experience. And I think when we were heading back, you know, this wasn't just the end of a week in Avignon. It was the end of this whole race to the wedding finishing line. It had been the the end of weeks of socialising and planning and pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones and trying things that were scary and wonderful. We were just feeling, I think, I, I know I was certainly feeling very content to be coming home. Yeah, and I was looking forward to basically bringing the marriage and the whole marriage experience back to Australia because I wanted to be able to be married. It felt like we were still... The whole trip felt like wedding. The second we landed back in Australia, I was like, I just want to be married to you where we're going to live. I want to you know, I want to, I want to take this wonderful thing and bring it back to where we live. Yeah. yeah. So we got back in Melbourne about... What would have been about a month and a half ago? Yeah. In fact, we celebrated our two-month wedding anniversary yesterday. I feel like we're at that stage, you know, when kids are like, I'm three years old and this many fingers. And it's like, you're three, kid. But we're at that stage <laughs> where like, we're two months married and we're pretty chuffed and proud. I think we should just celebrate every month, honestly. And you know what? We're going to go back and we're probably going to visit the places where we're going to visit Medici Fountain and we're going to go back to Van Gogh's sanitarium and we're going to destroy every bike we see. <laughs> and th- for Forever, Paris and France are going to be where our love story, you know, leveled up. Thank you so much to everybody who has stuck with us through this lovely wedding journey. And thank you so much, Paul, for being a part of these past four episodes. Uh, oh. You're fired. You're off the team now. I'm so sorry. It's, it's you're out. Actually, I edit and mix this podcast. <laughs> so unless you want 90 minutes of unedited audio every I week. I don't. I really don't. <laughs> Please stay. All right, fine. <laughs>
Thank you so much to everyone who has tuned in and helped us top the travel charts on iTunes. Every time you share a post or get in touch, leave a review, it means so much to me. So I, I really, really do appreciate it. As always, I'll be sharing more pictures of the trip through the Rulamark Facebook discussion group. You can join in via my Facebook page. And if you haven't listened to Loose Units yet, while I have this lovely gentleman in front of me, do give it a go. It is a hilarious and raw true crime pod It is a hilarious and raw true crime podcast. Season two, Electric Blue, will be hitting the charts shortly. And while we're plugging things, I would like to give a plug to cheesemonger Anthony Femia's new store. It's called Chapel of Cheese. It's at Pran Markets. It is absolutely God-level cheese experience, Mm -hmm. and you need to go along. I've been Tegan Higginbotham, you've been Paul Verhoeven, and you've been listening to Ruler Mark. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.